Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. So we're going to continue our series on the King and his kingdom. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew for the last year, and the plan is to end this around Easter time, which seems like the right sort of time to be landing the Gospel of Matthew. And it's been a real challenge um, to go through the whole book of Matthew week by week. And what I want to talk about today is how do you stay with it to the end? How do you stand firm? How do you continue to follow Jesus even when life is particularly difficult? And we're going to be in Matthew 24, which is most Bible scholars recognize it's probably one of the most difficult passages in the whole of the four Gospels. So we're going to um, have some time with that today. Just before Christmas, um, some friends of friends uh, got arrested And they're people who follow Jesus in a country where it is illegal to follow Jesus. Now, one of my roles, we've got about 120, 130 vineyard churches in the UK and about 2,500 vineyard churches around the world, most of them uh, this sort of size or smaller. And one of my roles for vineyard is to help coordinate missions. And we have 12 or so different mission partnerships in the UK one of them, Malawi, which is we've been involved with for the last 11 years. But we have partnerships with other people all the way around the world. And the place uh, where these, this couple lived that got arrested is in one of the top uh, 10 of the most dangerous places on earth to be a follower of Jesus. I need to be really careful about what I say, but the authorities put them on trial for being disciples of Jesus. Now, this last week, uh, Open Doors released the World Watch List. They do this every year, and they talk about which are the most difficult countries to be a follower of Jesus. And over 340 million believers suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination because they follow Jesus. But they still follow him. They still stay with it to the end. They still stand firm. They remain faithful. They stand firm in the face of fierce opposition and oftentimes relentless observation. And secret believers, um, they're, they're, they're secret not by choice, but because they have to be. They have to keep their faith secret. And in our country, we have it so, so easy. And it's not that they've converted to the religion of Christianity it's because they found what we sang about earlier. They've met Jesus, our living hope. And they're able to stand and sing that. They're able to live that out, but in a place where it's incredibly dangerous to do so. What if this is the easiest it will ever be for us to follow Jesus? in our time, in our culture, in our country? What if this is the easiest it will ever be? And my encouragement, my challenge for you this morning is, what are you doing with your faith? How are you following Jesus? Um, 
this week I was in a, a prayer meeting uh, with other pastors uh, in India, and just hearing their stories of how they're following Jesus uh, with a, a huge amounts of oppression. I was also in a conversation with an Iranian friend, um, and just talking about how uh, believers in Iran are following Jesus. And that's, that's where the church is growing the fastest. Anywhere in the world is in the country of Iran. Uh, Simon Gilbo recently shared a story of an Iranian Christian couple who managed to leave Iran and go to the West. But after living in the USA for a while, the, the wife said to her husband, please take me back to Iran. And knowing that she would be persecuted, knowing that it would be very difficult, but she said this, she said, there is a satanic lullaby in this nation. All the Christians are asleep and I feel myself falling asleep. And that's such a challenge, isn't it? I wonder whether in our culture, in our, in our country, whether it feels like we're just being lulled to sleep. We've got this lullaby singing over us, and we're just falling asleep as followers of Jesus. So today is going to be a challenge. Um, I'm going to be getting a whole load of the World Watch List uh, booklets that will be here hopefully next week. And I encourage you to be praying for brothers and sisters who follow Jesus in countries where you're not really allowed to follow Jesus. So are you ready to give up following Jesus? Are you content with just chugging along with a, a form of faith that is convenient and comfortable? I know that sometimes I, I find it really comfortable and convenient to be a follower of Jesus. And it's such a challenge for all of us when we see other believers that go through such hardship but still choose to follow him. And we live in a, a culture of comfort. We love our comfort. We love our convenience. And my question for us is, are we disciples of King Jesus serving him with our whole lives? Or are we kings and queens of our own lives expecting Jesus to serve us? Is our culture seducing, seducing us from being impactful disciples of the king and his kingdom? So we are in Matthew 24, and as I said, this is a challenging chapter. And Jesus covers the end of all history. He covers the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, which is going to be in the future where, where he is now, and also how to be ready for his return. And rather than cover the whole chapter, because we'd need hours and hours to do that justice, we're going to focus our attention on verses 9 to 13. And the context here is that um, Jesus has been in confrontation with the religious authorities, and he's been in and around the temple, and they're leaving the temple. And this is going to be the last time Jesus would be at the temple. And the disciples are pointing at all the different big stones because it was, a, it was an incredible temple. And he's talking about how there's going to be some destruction coming uh, on Jerusalem. And he goes on, to, talks about a whole lot of other stuff. But in verse 9, he says this to his disciples. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. 
Okay, so incredibly challenging today. Now, how do we not turn away from Jesus? How do we have resilience? How do we resist? How do we have perseverance? How do we stay with it to the end? Now, I don't want to brag, but I've run a couple of marathons and one ultra marathon, and there's always a moment in a long run when you feel like giving up. A couple of years ago, uh, John and I and a guy called Darren, we cycled from France down to Lithuania. Not Lithuania, Liechtenstein. And it was a long cycle. There were moments where actually it would be more convenient and comfortable to be sat in the car and driving it rather than cycling it. There's always a moment in any long journey where you feel like giving up, always. When the comfort of a chair or a warm bed compared with the pain and inconvenience start to battle in your mind. So as a church, how do we equip and develop you as followers of Jesus, as people who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit? One person said that resilience is the ability to wisely persevere towards the mission God has put before you, despite both external challenges, so things like COVID, family, work, health, and despite internal resistance, so whatever pressure, stress, anxiety, sabotage you might be experiencing. So how do you wisely persevere towards the mission God has put before you? What I want to do is I want to talk about two different threats to resilient faith. And then we want to look at how did Jesus overcome uh, these two threats. So first of all, um, the first threat is a failure of nerve. Now, there's a book um, by a guy called Edwin Friedman called A Failure of Nerve. And um, in it, he talks about no matter how strong our convictions are, we all know that sooner or later we might suffer this failure of nerve. And it's to give in to pressure it's to give in to anxiety within ourselves or within a community, which might under, undermine our ability to move forward and meet the challenges ahead. It's to return to what is safe and secure, to get back to our comfortable chair or our warm bed. It's when, a failure now is when we become too soft and accommodating and just fit into what people and our culture expect of us. Now, to combat this kind of natural tendency, it takes courage to stand firm and to stay calm. It takes enduring, repeated acts of courage to, to stay the course, even when others are communicating their, their disappointment in you. And when I think of courage, I think of the, the 300 Spartans. Did you ever watch that movie? It's not necessarily a great movie. There's a whole cultural thing there. But the 300 Spartans standing up to the Greeks and you've got the whole, you know, this is Sparta and these 300 warriors that it's just, the numbers are just crazy. That you know, A million or so Greeks and they're just standing firm in the face of persecution and opposition. It's what some commentators call moral courage. It's the ability to act rightly in the face of opposition or shame or scandal or discouragement. It's having right action in the midst of danger and risk for a selfless cause. It's something that's placed in the Bible that calls faith. See, faith is a, an active word. It's not just an abstract belief. It means to persist in the face of difficulty, 
to move forward and to not shrink back. It's not positive thinking. Faith is a gift from God. So what I want to do is just talk about three very brief examples of where people have lost their nerve. They've had a failure of nerve. And we're going to come back to the first one, which is Peter, um, later on in this series as we move towards Easter. But you think about Peter, he's been with Jesus. You know, the king has been with him. And Jesus is like, you know, the kingdom is at hand. And Peter has followed. He's been in the inner circle. And Jesus says things that don't really fit with his view. But Jesus, but Peter's like, you know, I won't leave you. Others, other people might leave you, but I won't leave you ever. And then within 24 hours or so, he's like, I never knew the man. And it takes a little girl around a fire to say, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, no. And some things, sometimes it's just these small things, these repeated things that just start to lead us astray and move us away from focusing on Jesus. There's going to be more on Peter later on. Secondly, it might be that dominant personalities start to bully and assault us. So you think of, in the Old Testament, there's a guy called Elijah, and he has this big confrontation with these prophets of this other god uh, called Baal. And they have this competition. Uh, they have this big sort of uh, altar, and the other prophets are trying to call down fire, and Elijah's sort of mocking them a little bit and taunting them. And then he says, okay, let's rebuild the altar because nothing's happening. Let's pour loads and loads of water on it. And then just a, just a short prayer to Yahweh and fire falls from heaven. And everyone there is just amazed. And people turn back to Yahweh. And it's just the, the pinnacle, the, the summit of his, of his kind of career, you know, following God. And then the bully turns up. This lady called Jezebel says, what happened to my prophets is going to happen to you. And he runs away. He's had enough. He, he runs, he's scared, he's exhausted, um, he's overwhelmed. And that's when he meets God in that weak, broken moment. And sometimes there's a, a power of people that can talk you out of a faithful walk with Jesus. Who are some people, if they just say just one word, it will just knock you for six. Maybe there's people in your life where they have this disproportionate power that can, can derail you. How do you not have that failure of nerve in that moment of, of assault? And then thirdly, maybe there's a moment of uncertainty. It's also in the Old Testament, you've got Aaron, who was Moses' brother. And Moses has gone up the mountain, and he's taking longer than everyone wants him to take. And this is in the book of Exodus. And... Aaron has been with Moses, been his right-hand man as, as God's led them out of uh, Egypt and brought freedom and liberation. And they're waiting for this word from God. They're waiting for Moses to come back down the, down the mountain. There's this moment of uncertainty. And Aaron ends up building his own. He gets all the gold that they've taken from the Egyptians and they build their own God. They build this, this golden calf. And they say, look, this is your God. I'm going to bow down and worship. And when Moses comes, he's not too pleased with it all. Um, but you can read about that in the book of Exodus. But what maybe for us, we want God to work at our own timetable. And when God doesn't show up when we want him, there's that moment of uncertainty. And we get that failure of nerve. It's like, 
God, you're taking longer than we thought. And we're just going to do our own thing. Maybe it's God, you're taking longer than I want you to to fix something in my life. Therefore, I'm going to try and fix it myself. So that's just three examples of failures of nerve. The second threat is a failure of heart. So if a failure of nerve is when we get too soft and accommodating, a failure of heart is when you start to cut yourself off from people. It's when you become too hard and brittle. You start to get angry at God and maybe cynical at people. We start to lose our compassion. We start to lose our love for God and our love for people, which we talked about, what, two weeks ago. We lose our hope, our motivation, and our energy to stay focused on the mission that God has given us. So again, three brief examples. Moses starts off loving the people, but after a while he loses that love for the people. He stands between the the anger of God and the rebellion of the people. But later he gets so sick of the people, their pettiness and their frustration, that he strikes this rock in anger uh, in order to get water for the people. And think about Moses, he never gets to see the promised land. He gets so frustrated with them. And he blames the people that he's leading. And I want to do other followers of Jesus sometimes make you really frustrated? Do other Christians sometimes make you crazy? Why on earth are they doing that? As we saw last week, hypocrisy in the church is a huge reason why people give up on their faith. That Christians don't always act like the Christ that they follow. And to be honest, there are other groups that you could join that would be, that would be far less challenging than to come along to a church and be a part of a church. There are other things that you could do that are far more convenient and far more comfortable. But will you stick with it to the end? Are you continuing to grow your love for others? Second thing that might be a threat to a, with a, a failure of, of heart is disappointment with Jesus. And you see this in the life of Judas, that he loses his love for Jesus, and he cashes in and he sells Jesus out Because Jesus was not bringing the kingdom that he wanted and that he had in mind. And we're going to focus more on Judas in a couple of weeks when we do a bit about Peter and a bit about Judas. Jesus said to his followers in this passage, 24 verse 9, and also earlier on in Matthew 10 verse 22, you will be hated by everyone because of me. And maybe that gets turned into our disappointment with Jesus. We would say, I thought Jesus would do this for me, but he hasn't, so I'm done with Jesus. I thought Jesus would, would fix this, and he hasn't done it yet. So I'm disappointed, and I'm giving up. Or those followers of Jesus hurt me, or someone I love, therefore I'm done with Jesus. Now, the thing is, Jesus is not there to simply give you what you want. More on that later. Thirdly, what about the culture? There's a little bit in um, 2 Timothy 4.10 where one of the fellow workers of Paul, who's been with him on all these ministry trips, just says this little bit in 2 Timothy 4.10, and he says, pray for Demas because he loved this world and has deserted me. See, life would be a lot easier without Jesus. We're so easily seduced. It, it 
we like, like our luxury, we like our leisure. We like to watch stuff. We like to just chill out of an evening. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but is it starting to cause us to love our culture and our world more than Jesus? And one of the things I see with people who are in the persecuted church is they love Jesus more than they love their culture. One person, um, so Simon Gilbo was saying the other day um, that a friend of his came to a refugee camp and it was in the uh, outside of Burundi somewhere. And there was a man all on his own and he was desperately sick and he'd lost his wife and he'd lost his children in uh, violence. And he said to this aid worker there, I didn't realize that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. And I wonder, do we put our priorities right? As we're following Jesus, it's so easy in our culture to follow Jesus. So are a failure of nerve or a failure of, of, of heart keeping you from persevering? What will you do? How will you not give up? How will you not give in? Well, how did Jesus avoid these things? I think the main thing is Jesus knew exactly who he was. He had a secure sense of, of self. He could stand firm without the need for affirmation and without the guarantee of outcomes, without fanfare or results. He had this incredible compassion and, and, and courage. He was rooted in his love for his father. He didn't need the affirmation of the people in order to do the mission that he was called. He was grounded in who he was. He was, had this rooted identity. So right at the beginning of Matthew, Matthew 3, he hears the voice saying, this is my son whom I love. Then in Matthew 4, in the temptation, he hears that voice saying, if you really are the son of God, then do this. So he knew who he was. Have you ever been to a football match and somebody messes up and uh, you know, does a bad pass or whatever, the opposing crowd will just taunt and shout, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And it's kind of, that's the, it's not just a satanic lullaby, but there's an opposition saying, who are you? Who are you? Do you know who you are in Jesus? Are you his apprentice? apprentice? Are you learning from him how to live life in the kingdom day by day by day? Are you living your life before an audience of one? Are you being faithful to the call of Jesus? In their book, um, Faith for Exiles, um, Dave Kinnaman, and I've forgotten the other authors, uh, have these five different practices to develop resilient faith. And it's a great little book, uh, Faith for Exiles. What would it look like to, this next week, to practice, uh, to do some of these practices? Like develop an intimate transformation, transformative relationship with Jesus. What would that look like for you in your day-to-day -day life? 
what would it look like to develop the muscles of cultural discernment, to live wisely, to know what to spend your time on, what to watch, what to listen to, what to engage in? Or practice three, what would it look like to build meaningful intergenerational relationships? That's why we have things like not only this Sunday morning gathering, but our life groups and our neighborhood groups and our journey groups where we're connecting with one another to encourage one another and spur one another uh, on. Or practice for, what would it look like to train for vocational discipleship, which is all about building a well-developed theology of work and calling, that your following Jesus life isn't just a Sunday thing, but it's day by day. How are you following Jesus in your place of work or at school or at university? And then practice five, what it look like to engage in countercultural forms of mission, to be living as a faithful presence and trusting God's power in the world. So how do we stand firm and remain faithful to the end? In a moment, we're going to be praying for each other. And what I want to be praying for one another is that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because things like theology and ideas doesn't always cut it. We need to have the person of the Holy Spirit. We need to have his wisdom, the fruit of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the conviction of the Spirit. That's what transforms someone like Peter. He was transformed and filled with boldness when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So in a moment, we're going to just rest like we did at the end of the worship, song worship earlier. And it's an opportunity for you to say, I receive your Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God, I receive your Spirit. And that's not, the Spirit's not given as an extra something to make our meetings more fun. It's for the purpose of mission into the world. The Holy Spirit's there as a helper. And there's so many times day by day where I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me in this situation. Help me in this confrontation. Help me in this temptation. Help me to stay faithful, to stay with it to the end. And whilst we're there, I want you also to be aware of the Father's love for you a father of grace and a father of mercy. And I'm going to read two different um, passages as we're waiting. One's in Hebrews 12 and one is in Ephesians 3. In Ephesians 3, Paul is praying for these followers of Jesus that they would receive and understand something of the love of God for them, that their hearts would be expanded. see, Jesus was not intimidated. Jesus did not have a failure of nerve. He was a person of immense courage. And Jesus did not have a failure of heart. He was a person of incredible compassion. Somebody who could say, Father, forgive them, as he hung on the cross. And that is the Jesus that we follow. That is the reason why Thousands of people around the world say, I choose to follow Jesus despite the persecution. So this couple that got arrested, thankfully they got released. 
but they're still living out this day-by-day faith of following Jesus. And I wonder if you met them. And they said, they asked you, how did you follow Jesus in your culture, in your country? How did you remain faithful? And you'd be able to say, I was faithful to the end and I kept a soft heart for others. I had courage and I had compassion. Thanks for tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.